This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hello, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that might have an impact on your career. Our guest today is Steve Kahan a serial entrepreneur, and a marketing expert who's been a leader in a number of successful tech startups. Steve is a guy who cares about young people, and he's given a lot of thought about how they can get their careers off to a strong start. He's also thought about how you can reboot your career if you're feeling stuck in an unsatisfying job. So Steve has written a book that's full of good advice. The full title is Be a Startup Superstar. Ignite your career working at a tech startup. Today, Steve will share some helpful advice about startups and about some career basics for everyone. Steve, your book, Be a Startup Superstar, answers a lot of questions that I think a lot of people have, and I'm really excited about getting into it. But before we do that, I am very interested in your story. We always are interested in career stories here on Jazz About Work, but I want to know how did you make the leap from one kind of track over to the world of startups? How did it all come about? So if you take a step back, I found for me that the traditional path from school to climbing the corporate ladder could not only be high risk for my career, it could almost feel like a death trap. And my father, like so many other fathers and mothers out there, used to uh, tell me so many times when I was growing up, he would say, Steve, get your degree, go to work for a large corporation, you work hard, they'll take care of you, and you will have a great career. And then my father would say, of course, your mother and I would prefer you'd become a doctor or a lawyer, but short of that, getting a job at a large corporation will do. So that was a path I took. Yeah. And, uh, and so I started my career working at a large corporation, processing claims, staring at my bank statement and the pile of claims that I was processing, uh, wondering how on earth I would ever actually get ahead. And I'd work long days and the student loans would take a hold of my paychecks before they'd ever hit my bank account. So for me, I asked myself a very important question and that was, how could I earn a great living and love the work I do. And it was at that point that I decided to make the leap to the startup world, uh, joined a small team of crazies hell-bent on changing the world. And uh, I've made that uh, leap and 30 years later, I'm still in the startup world and have loved every moment of it. Well, before we go on, let me ask a real basic question for people. Uh, startups 30 years ago, maybe you're different than they are today. Startup world is is still kind of crazy, though. So how would you define what a startup actually is? What phase of the business qualifies as a startup? Right. So if you read what the United States Small Business Administration says when they define a startup, they'll say a, a startup is a company that's been in business for under a year and in the formative stages. But that actually paints a poor picture for what defines a startup. 
And uh, my friend Doug Irwin, who's chairman of a venture capital company and serial technology entrepreneur, he offers, I believe, a far more instructive definition. He says that a startup is a company that operates like it's the last frontier for outlaws, a place where nonconformists can live, create, and sell their ideas. And it's a place where you get to be the rough riding rebel running circles around the slow moving bureaucratic large corporations. And so a startup is really a culture. It's a mindset. It is that team of crazies that believes that it could change the world. Wow, you make a very um, romantic picture, but it means a lot of hard work and, and maybe shifting roles and being pretty fluid, doesn't it, if you join a startup? It does. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, if you're at a startup, you're going to have to work hard, uh, and there, there can be long hours, but also it's a, it's a great place to be because of the fact that you have great versatility in your role, that you get the opportunity to wear many hats, and the world pays for deep expertise, and typically at startups, because there's not tons of uh, other resources all right around you, you get that opportunity to gain exponential learning opportunities. And if you're uh, entrepreneurial, willing to take advantage of those opportunities, then you're able to build upon that knowledge. It, it's just a great environment to, to be in. And there's no question that there is a great amount of change and there is risk. But, uh, but if, you, if you like an environment that has uh, attributes such as the ones that I've suggested, it, it could be a great place for you to be. Well, there's always uncertainty in the job market, no matter what you're doing. And what I thought when I read your book is that part of what motivated you to write the book is that you have you have compassion for young people in the job market. You're worried about um, their ability to get out of dead-end jobs. You're worried about their um, possibilities for, for growth. Is is that really part of why you are talking about startups? Because you think there's flexibility and opportunity there for, for people who are really struggling? I do. Uh, what I'm most concerned about is that nearly 43% of college graduates with a bachelor degree are underemployed. And then if you add on top of that, say you've already met you made the leap into uh, building your career. If you Google the phrase, people who feel stuck in their corporate jobs, you'll get nearly 300 million results. Wow. Which means that there's a lot of people who feel this way. I mean, that's a lot of content. And so from my perspective, I sort of uh, also see it this way, is that what if you have your heart set in getting in the C-suite in your career or getting in the C-suite. And if you decided to join the Fortune 500, I've got two words for you. And they are good luck. And obviously, there can only be 500 CEOs in the Fortune 500 and maybe 5,000 in the C-suite all told. And many of those people stay in their jobs for years, which means that your odds of being in the C-suite and the Fortune 500 
are about the same as your odds of being drafted into the National Football League, where 254 players are selected in each year's NFL draft. Compare this to the 46,000 startups in the United States alone, along with a recent study where CEOs at startups were asked, what's the number one issue keeping them up at night? And it's hiring good people. And think of that. Hiring good people was rated ahead of growing revenue, acquiring customers, or gaining access to more capital. So given the fact that people, many people feel stuck in their corporate jobs or underemployed and that startups, there's so many good ones that are desperate for hiring, I felt that that connection needs to be made and that I might be able to help facilitate uh, the accomplishment of better professional and hopefully financial outcomes for, for young people around the globe. Well, I know that we have many young professionals in our among our listeners, and so I bet I'm feeling excited for them as you talk about the startup culture and the startup opportunity. So let's say we have listeners out there who are, who, who are ready to go based on what you've been saying. How do they get started uh, looking for a startup, getting ready for it? So... There are many ways that you could think about looking for these startups, but let me perhaps suggest two unconventional ways that listeners can go find some amazingly great jobs. So first, if you take a look at uh, getting on Google and Googling the word accelerators or seed accelerators, These are application-only programs that provide capital mentorship and educational opportunities to the startups that they typically fund. And if you Google accelerators, they exist in most every major city around the United States. And a lot of these accelerators list the companies that they fund, and those companies list the jobs that they have available. And so that's one hidden gem where you could go to look for these opportunities that a lot of people just don't know about. Another is engaging with startup leaders online. And this is something that people just don't do. And so just take myself, for example, there have been a number of people over the years that have watched what I've communicated socially and have come directly to me, a hiring manager, uh, via LinkedIn Messenger, for example. And you you would do this not in a salesy way, but in a sincere, heartfelt uh, fashion in which you're looking for some career guidance. And what you'll find is that many startup leaders realize that they've been helped themselves many times along the way of their career, and they want to be able to pay it forward. And don't be dissuaded if you don't have all the startup leaders engaged with you because they're busy people, but a lot of the startup leaders actually will. And so going directly to those people and companies that you might want to be a part of and doing it, as I mentioned, in a sincere way might actually enable you to transition the conversation to you, which might then give you access to the great jobs that are within that company or within that executive's network. So two ways to 
to find uh, some great uh, roles that people might not necessarily consider. Are there certain uh, skill sets that are most in demand? What if you are um, a liberal arts graduate from college and you're sitting processing claims somewhere? Um, should you be going back to school first, or how how do you prepare yourself to, to make a case that you're a good uh, possibility? So uh, I am living proof that, for example, I've been in technology and in cybersecurity my entire career. And I couldn't code a line of code if my life depended on it, right? And so there are opportunities, uh, great opportunities, whether it's in technology, biotech, or whatever it might be for people who have a variety of backgrounds across all functional areas. What's really important are the attributes that you bring to the table that make you a great startup candidate. Attributes like accountability, people who embrace accountability to get things done. You can't hide at a startup. Uh, people who are not I people, and you'll know I people by those who tend to take all the credit, but rather we people. And these are the folks that are much more willing to share the credit because you'll be working typically with a small team and you've got to work well with them. Uh, people who are prepared to work hard because there's no easy button. And then also those that have persistence and tenacity. At a startup, you're going to be going up against bigger, better funded competitors. So you don't want to take small obstacles and, and turn them into great big mountains. Uh, but then also to have the tenacity to blow past those obstacles that will surely come up along the way. I think if those are attributes that in reflection describe you as you're listening to this, you very well may be someone who could be outstanding to work within a startup. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Most startups, although they may be wonderful experiences, most startups fail and means that you have to go and look for another startup to continue your path. If you make the wrong choice, wrong in the sense that it doesn't turn into the next great thing, is that uh, a real career killer or is that just a step along the way? It's a step along the way. And what I've learned is how to choose the good startups, right? Because there's a lot of them, and you're right, a lot won't make it. But if you have the criteria that you are much more likely to, uh, to select a startup that is successful, uh, 
uh, that's obviously where you want to be. And so here are the criteria that I look for when I join a startup. And by the way, I'm now on my seventh startup. All six have successfully sold prior. So if it was just one or two, maybe it would have been just dumb luck. But I guess after uh, several, it's it's uh, I've learned some some really important things. Here's yeah. what I look for. So the first thing is is quality people who share your values. So people reflect a company's culture, and if you don't think you can respect, trust, and admire the senior leadership that's involved, move on. And what you're looking for first and foremost is a management team, a solid team of leaders who rock your world. So that's the first thing that I look for. Second is a concept that fills a big market need. Particularly in the B2B world, buyers don't spend money on nice to solve problems, they spend money on must solves. And there's lots of research you could do right in Google to read what analysts or influencers are saying to make sure that the marketplace is big enough. And don't be worried if you see that there's lots of competition. Worry if you see there's no competition, which suggests that there might not be a market. So that's the second thing. Third, I look for a great product that I can believe in. And so there is more of would I purchase it, use it, or recommend it? And can I go to work every day with a passion for what the company creates, and in particular, uh, my role or your role in creating it? So you want to make sure that you can get behind that product with great enthusiasm. And then finally, I look for to determine if the startup is well-funded. So you want to choose a startup that has a long enough runway to get off the ground. So make sure that it's properly capitalized. So you have the best chance for growth and stability. Those are the criteria that I look for. And for me, all of those boxes must be checked. It sounds that they add up to a really terrific opportunity. So, so let's say that... Um uh, we have a listener, and they take your advice, and they do their homework, and they find us a place that checks all those four boxes. Do you have any um, tips on how they can prepare for their interviews? So I think the the first tip that I would give would be, and I'm going to offer two, is that do you have an elevator pitch for yourself? Right. And so, so many people memorize the elevator pitch for the companies that they work for, but they don't have one for themselves. And startup executives, they want to know why you, and they want to know it in the first 60 seconds. And so a lot of people haven't thought about how to concisely articulate why them. The second thing is, is the questions that you ask. So I laid out some criteria that are absolutely critical to, to selecting a great startup. But how do you actually determine the answers for those questions? And can you really learn about that startup but ask smart questions that in fact actually differentiate yourself in the process because no one else is gonna ask them? So these are the questions that I would recommend that you might consider uh, asking, and this would be a good time to take out a pen 
uh, or type these out. So why is now the time for your company to exist? What do you love about your team and why are you the ones to solve this problem? Tell me about a paying customer. What was that journey and what are the revenue expectations for that customer over the next year? What key milestones has your company achieved? How much has the company raised and what's its runway? Who are your investors and why did you choose them? And the last question I would offer up, and this really gets at the values of the uh, management that you're interviewing with. If you weren't building your startup, what would you be doing? I think if you have an elevator pitch, that certainly would be helpful. I'm assuming you'll do some research on the company. But if you ask some great questions like those, not only will you learn a ton, but I can assure you no one else is going to be asking the those questions all told. And you'll have uh, uh, a great opportunity to differentiate yourself and learn a ton in the process. I think those are terrific questions. And asking meaningful, open-ended questions like that, that's a wonderful technique for any kind of interview situation. You don't have to um, be just looking at a startup. And But that brings me to the second part of your book. The first part really focuses in on the startup environment. And the second part, I think, offers some terrific um, career advice for just about anybody. It would seem to me that your uh, interview advice applies that. What what are some other key things that you think uh, young professionals should uh, take away from your book when they're thinking about uh, creating a career wherever it is? So I've got so many, but let me cover uh, cover one or two for you. So regularly challenge the status quo. So. We've all heard the old sayings, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, or that's the way we've always done things around here. And the status quo is strong because in many ways it represents a bias that could permeate the culture of a company for keeping in place the current state of affairs. The status quo is comfortable, it's predictable, people think it's less risky, but I can assure you that growth requires change. And most every person in an organization that wants to become great at some point had to challenge the status quo, particularly as the pace of change is as incredible as it actually is. And it's not about being the contrarian that challenges every single little thing, but it's simply that you you can't achieve and build on success if you continue to do the same old things in the same old way. So that would be one. Another would be uh, acknowledging the elephant in the room. And here is that you will be in business meetings, and maybe you've already been in them, where things seem to be going great. You're getting stuff accomplished, and yet there's one big issue that is hanging over everyone like a cloud. 
And this is the issue that everyone is thinking about, but nobody wants to discuss. And so people tiptoe around it. And that's what's known as the elephant in the room. And it's an expression that refers to the big obvious challenge or problem that no one wants to bring up because it might be a little bit uncomfortable. And of course, it's, it's, it's less stressful to avoid those big problems. But unlike fine wine, in my experience, that these elephants don't get better over time, they rarely vanish. So if you see that there's an elephant in the room, and of course, make sure it's actually an elephant, uh, address it head on. Those would be a couple of many pieces of advice that I would offer up uh, for people to consider. One of my favorites among your pieces of advice is to have a learning plan, to commit yourself to learning uh, both deep learning about specific things and broad learning so that you can make lots of connections. Is, is that one of your favorites too? It is. I mean, when you think about learning, and this is uh, it's just so important, is that organizations today, you might think that they have training plans uh, that are uh, in place and devised uh, for you. And what you will we'll find, whether you're in a small startup, which for sure they won't, or a large corporation, which they might say that they do, but they don't, is that you've got to take accountability for your own learning and realize that it is constant learning. If you look at my deep domain of expertise, it is marketing. And when I got started versus where marketing is today, it is completely changed. And it's even changed over the last few years. Uh, for example, in marketing today, it's all about the metrics. It is, it is so financial and metrics uh, uh, related that in many ways, uh, you, you've got to really be you know, outstanding at, at, at those uh, topics. And that isn't how marketing always was. So first, you need to take charge of building your own learning plan. Certainly, people that you, uh, that you report to or mentors that you might have might help you to, to uh, build that more roundly. But then committing to constant learning, uh, particularly in the world that we live in today, is so important for you to stay at the top of your game and really be that A-plus player that you have the potential to be. I totally agree with you. I think that's great advice. And your book, it's full of great advice. The full title of the book is Be a Startup Superstar, Ignite Your Career Working at a Tech Startup. Before we close, Steve, is there anything else you want readers or listeners to uh, know about your book? Uh, the book really goes much more into how to find and land a job at a great startup and what I call under seven keys for the C-suite, 35 actions, attitudes, and behaviors that one should have to maximize success. It's, it's a quick read. It's a lot of how-to implementable information. And so I, uh, I hope that your listeners uh, like it and that they contact me with any questions or comments that they might have. Thanks very much. And 
Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Today we've been talking with Steve Kahan about how and why you might want to go after a job in a tech startup. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer, and I'm your host, Bev Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Today's career tip is that it's never a bad career move to keep learning and building expertise. It's important to have deep knowledge in at least one area and broad knowledge cutting across many fields. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed our show, please tell your friends. Thank you.